0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW for We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right smack dab in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you might know, your program is your ticket. is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions, usually to save money and resources. It's these works that we like to highlight, and it's our goal in this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of My Husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest will be Executive Director of New York Theater Experience and an incredible force in the digital publication of great new works through Indie Theater Now, the wonderful Martin Denton. We'll be bringing Martin on in just a few minutes, but first, I'd like to bring to light a certain set of opportunities that some theater newbies out there might like to entertain, They're called out-of-town tryouts, and out-of-town tryouts are a great opportunity to see up-and-coming shows, often at a smaller scale as they evolve into larger Broadway shows they are destined to become. These are typically shows that have some heat behind them producer-wise, which usually means interest and also money, and they have the potential for for the big time, but the producers don't necessarily want to work out the kinks of the show in front of a critical New York audience, so they produce a short run of the show at a theater elsewhere, usually somewhere in the United States, sometimes internationally. Uh, You can see these shows typically for less cost than what you might pay on Broadway. And what's cool about it is that you can say that you've seen the show during its creative evolution. Um, Some of the shows that I've seen on out-of-town tryouts are 9 to 5, uh, the musical, which ran its out-of-town tryout, I believe it was at the Almond Theater in Los Angeles. And recently, Amelie the musical, which is scheduled to open out here in New York, uh, was did a run in L.A. as well. Saw the out-of-town tryout for Waitress in Boston. I love Waitress the musical. It's so good. Um, and then also, a lot of stuff in, comes from Chicago with out-of-town tryouts. Um, saw Kinky Boots there back in, I think it was 2012 when we were producing a flash there. Also, Beautiful, the Carol King musical originated there. And um, I love, love that show. It, I believe it originated out of the Goodman Theater. It had its out of town tryout there. And the Goodman produces so much great work in Chicago. And most recently, I believe the Goodman produced War Paint, which is a musical that's coming here in New York. With uh, Patty Lupone and Christine Ebersole as Helena Rubenstein or Rubenstein, I'm not sure. How to pronounce it. Sorry about that. And Elizabeth Arden, who were dueling cosmetic entrepreneurs, and that just that just sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I really want to see that. I love I love both of those actresses. So I encourage you to keep an eye on the theater scene in your area. If you live in someplace a little more rural, you know, look at the big city that's next to you and. Look out for these shows for their out-of-town tryouts. It's a great way to see up-and-coming shows, and it's really educational because you get to watch the creative process as, as a smaller, less evolved production evolves upward. Um, I, I love doing this. Sometimes I will actually take like a train or fly someplace just to see um, a, an out-of-town tryout because... Well, for a couple of reasons, mostly because I want to see it and, and learn what they're doing, and then and then maybe match the, the two shows up as they come to Broadway. And sometimes they don't go to Broadway, and I just want to see it because I'm interested in in uh, the show itself or the talent that's involved, uh, the writer or the, um, the the actors that are in the show. I mean, that's that's just it's just it's really fun. So I know a lot of people out there who are um, big theater peeps know about this but if you're listening to the show and you're new then this is something that this is something i've made people who aren't necessarily super involved in theater aware of and and they've gone and they've really had a good time doing it so uh, i would encourage you to do that and um uh, also it's a good it's a good support system for them because they're in essence bouncing the ideas for their show off of you and getting your response
1: So
2: anyways, um, now I would like to introduce our guest. As I indicated earlier, uh, he is the executive director of New York Theater Experience and a major, what I would consider game changer in the digital publication of great new works through Indie Theater Now, the prolific and obviously omnipotent Martin Benton. Hi, Martin, and welcome to your program is your ticket.
0: Hi, Sean. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited, and I'm actually not omnipotent.
2: <laughs> it feels like you are. You're just. I just. You have. You have such a broad range of of influence over how theater is produced. I just. I just. I just think that you're marvelous in what you do. My relationship with Martin is that um, indie theater now actually does a. An, an annual series of selected plays from the New York Fringe Festival. And our play at the Flash was one of the the plays that was selected and it was such a wonderful honor. I was just I was just like so blown away by that. And now I'm like, now I can tell everyone I would I've been digital, digitally published and that's such a cool thing. <laughs> so Martin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion.
0: Well, I have been working uh, in the theater... in the New York Theater Experience for actually 20 years now. Um, Before that, I was in uh, the world of of business, and um, I actually have a degree in accounting. And I didn't ever do, I've never done theater. I never was a performer or a writer or a director or anything like that, except in the most amateur way. But I always loved theater. It was always sort of the thing that I loved to do and a place where I loved to go to find out more things about the world and about myself. And that's still true. And um, anyway, I started uh, my first website in 1996, which was originally called Martin's Guide to New York Theater. And that morphed very quickly into nytheater.com. And in the late 90s, uh, which wasn't that long ago, but it seems like eons ago in internet time, it was possible to really make a splash. Uh, as one of the very few theater websites that existed in that time. And so since I was one of the first people doing this kind of thing on the internet, um, NYTheater.com got a following pretty quickly. And um, within a couple of years, I was able to quit my job and move to New York and work full time at uh, this business. Um, Basically NYTheater.com's mission was to, review theater and make theater accessible to folks all over the country. And I learned pretty quickly that the niche that I really enjoyed and and made the most sense for us to pursue was what we call indie theater, which is the small shows that you're talking about in this podcast, which is great um, stuff that's under the radar stuff that people don't know about stuff that doesn't get covered traditionally in the big newspapers or big websites or whatever. And, um, I was, very gratified that we built an audience over the years and um started a great relationship with the new york international fringe festival as you mentioned which has pretty much spanned we we're basically both the same age both were organizations 20 years old this year and hmm. we've worked together over that time and uh, uh, as you mentioned we tried to do as much as we can to document uh, what, what's going on in the fringe which is a very very important source of new work in the new york area and um Things that followed over the years, we did. We started a podcast series in the mid-2000s, which was called In My Theater Cast, which was, I think, actually the first regularly scheduled uh, podcast devoted to New York independent theater. We did that for about, well, I think about eight or nine years. Um, in 2011, we started Indie Theater Now, which is now our main project. Indie Theater Now is a place where we digitally publish new works from the indie theater world. What's great about Indie Theater Now is that we can... Uh, expand our focus from New York City to really the whole of the United States and Canada, which is really, really wonderful. Um, And we have currently got over 1,300 plays available on the site that people can uh, read about and then purchase and read themselves. And um, they're plays by people who uh, are really, really talented, really, really smart, but for the most part are not people who are yet uh, well known in the mainstream, although some of them have broken through, which is great. And it's really we view it mostly as a place where the emerging talents can start to get heard from, and uh, hopefully get some attention and get their work out there so that people can learn more about it.
2: That's sensational, and it's it's so wonderful that you have this resource for the up and coming writers because, uh, as people may know, it, before it it just it took practically well a, a miracle to get to get published within the uh, theatrical community, you could either self-publish your show, which I believe has only been around for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I'm not really sure, but, um, or or you'd have to wait for it to climb the ranks of the theater boards here in New York and bring on one of the, uh, the bigger companies like Samuel French. Do you find that, that uh, that's, that's a common theme or uh, something that you hear a lot?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's basically why we started what we did. I I really left out of my little narrative something important, which was that in 2000, we started publishing hard copy anthologies of plays. And it was really basically just came out of my frustration of getting to see and know some of the really wonderful work that was just being totally ignored by the theater publishing companies. And it's purely an economic thing. I mean, I don't think that that companies like Samuel French don't want to expand theater art but they are limited in their economic resources and especially when it was all a print world and print is way more expensive than than uh, digital publishing obviously so there was a mo- really almost nothing being published from the indie theater world at the turn of this century and we changed that by publishing our plays and playwrights anthologies which we did every year and and those anthologies you know again uh, introduced a lot of um Important talent, and I'm going I'm to now uh, blow my horn a little bit, because one of the people that we published for the first time in our 2007 volume was Taylor Mac, who oh. we read today, just won the Kennedy Prize for Drama in American History, and I'm real proud of Taylor, because we had him first, and now he is certainly making a splash in the in the dramatic world, and that's great, and hopefully others will publish him now, um, but it was important for him to get published by somebody first, and that's what we're here to do.
2: Yeah, I saw that today. That's incredible. And, and what a, a wonderful thing to be part of his earlier development.
0: Yes, it was, it was really gratifying. I mean, it was, um, he has come such a long way. I mean, I actually knew him before. He, he was an actor in the John Cocteau repertory in New York mm-hmm. before he started to do his own performance work. And i really a fine actor, but just, just you know, um, you wouldn't know him from the tailor that he is now uh, when he was just sort of this uh, repertory actor, a very fine one, but unassuming and, uh, you know, just doing what he was told by the director. And, and now he's got his whole uh, persona and performance thing going, and he's just phenomenal.
2: That is so awesome. That's that's, that's wonderful. So you've been doing this for, geez, two decades. Yeah. Do you do you have uh, anything that you consider to be your forte, your specialty?
0: I think that what I have learned or, or learned about myself, and then you know what I over the years developed is is mainly I think jelly. Maybe there's two things. One is we worked hard to try to build community among artists, which is really important, and and I think harder and harder. Social media actually makes that harder than it used to be. It used to be that we all had to meet in person once in a while, and that it was easy to build a community, but now that we can just Facebook each other, we go our own ways a lot more. But we tried to bring artists together and foster collaboration and just foster, you know, exchange of ideas. I mean, one of the things that, that I'm really proud of over the years is that we, we've had a couple our organizations sponsored a couple of convocations. We call them the Indie Theater Convocations, where we brought together artists and uh, producers from the indie theater world who would never who we knew, but who didn't know each other who would never have had a chance to meet each other if we hadn't brought them together into a room and talked to them and and, and gotten them to exchange ideas. And out of that out of the convocations came the League of New York Theater which is the sort of uh, trade association or professional organization for indie theater producers and artists in New York City. And, And then the Lit Fund which came out of that, which is a a uh, 501c3 uh, grant-making organization that provides emergency funding and other kinds of funding uh, for indie theater artists, sort of filling a niche that has been much needed. Um, And I'm really happy that that started all basically in a a meeting that we called. And I guess the other thing that I really have have learned about myself that I'm good at is just trying to to be a good theater-goer. I've been to the theater, I mean, I I don't go as much now, but in my Reviewing Heyday, I went six times a week at least. And so I saw literally thousands of shows over a couple of decades. And you do learn how to watch theater better. And the important thing is to really be, I think the right word is a mindful theater goer, to try to make sure that people, that you hear what the artists are telling you, that you aren't um, trying to second guess it or trying to impose anything on it or uh, being annoyed by it. I always used to tell people that reviewed for us, the most important thing to remember when they see a show is that they didn't put this up just to annoy you. And though know, sometimes it feels that way, it did. And, and it's really important to just be accepting and listen and hear and not want it to be different than what it is, but just let it be what it is and then faithfully report back what you heard. And um, that took a long time to learn, but it's really important.
2: Yeah. Uh, I always say as a writer, to, to be a really good writer, I think, you have to be a good audience member. That's true. And it's just going and being open to other writers' voices, uh, being appreciative of their work, trying not to get bogged down in, in things like jealousy or you know envy, uh, which, which is a little difficult to do when you're dealing with creative uh, egos. But it's, I, I, find, I find that it, the more theater I see, the more I learn, and the more open I am to, to different types of theater. So I, I totally agree with you on that. That's, I agree with you. You're <laughs> well put. Thank you. Thank um, you. As a, a, an executive director of a theater support organization, what messages and themes do you strive to convey to audiences through the projects that you choose?
0: Well, basically, I think it's been a pretty consistent message since we started NYTheatre.com and then through the books that we published and now through Indie Theatre Now, which is kind of what you were talking about, which is to embrace um, as much of different kinds of theatre as you can. There, you know, it, there we have such a mentality of, um, you know, that we only, you know, with the awards mentality and the winning mentality that I only want to see, like, Hamilton because that's, like, the show, you know. Mm-hmm. And while Hamilton is you know, a lovely show and we're seeing it's not the only show. And and you don't want to limit yourself to just like the the trendy thing or the popular thing. And, and so we've always tried very hard to champion lots and lots of stuff to to, to bring the, the voices that we don't often hear um, to the fore because they have so much to teach us and so much to say. And, and so that's why we, you know, basically, I mean, the focus on indie theater, first of all, is just, you know, naturally sort of bringing to the fore people who um, otherwise aren't getting as much attention as they deserve. But, but within that, you know, trying to focus on as many things as possible. And I'm the kind of person who never really wants to see another production of Shakespeare again, because I've seen every one of the plays at least once, and there's really no compelling need for me to see them again. Um, I like to see something new. I always want to see or read something different, something I haven't seen before. And, you know, the world keeps changing so fast now. There's lots of stuff that we haven't seen, and that's what needs the attention.
2: <laughs> May I make a confession?
0: Yes. I don't like Shakespeare. I, I don't really like Shakespeare all that much. He's <laughs> telling tell you the truth. <laughs> Done well, he's good. <laughs>
2: I, I get a lot of flack for that, but it's... Um, it's, it's, I'm working on it, but for me it's very difficult with, with the schism that happens between the actor reciting the dialogue and me actually translating what they're saying in my head. Um, I, I think the best Shakespeare shows are the ones where I don't have to do that as much. As...
1: No, it's, it's,
0: it's, it's the, the, um, there are people that do it very well, and um, they can make it live. And um, I see, I mean, the productions that I remember over the years, the ones that just let the story tell itself, um, let it be what it is, and the story will emerge. I mean, he's certainly a very fine dramatist. There's no question. Right. um, You know, and try to to sort of cut through, you know, all those things that must have been hilarious in, you know, 1586, you know, Mm -hmm. that don't understand that. You know, and there's no reason for us to, to put up with that because we don't know what it even means. So you cut through some of that and just get to the heart of the piece. But no, I'm no Shakespeare fan. I, as I said before, I like new things.
2: Right. <laughs> Although I did love going to the Old Globe Theater in London. That was really fun. That I didn't do, but that would be cool. <laughs> it is cool. I think it's I think it's the third Old Globe Theater is what the tour guide was saying. And um, they have co- they have like a costume display of costumes that famous actors have worn. And while doing while doing the work at the theater, it's 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 really neat. And and yes, you're right. Some things I see and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I get it, and and I'm captivated by it. But most of it, I'm it confuses me. I'm working on that, and I'm working on opera too. Well, we're not
0: talking about opera. Okay, <laughs> I'm not an opera reviewer. So.
2: <laughs> um, what do you think is an important direction that theater is taking right now? Something new that you like?
0: Well, it's. And it's always so hard to talk about that. But I mean, I think, I mean, you know, looking over the last several years, I mean, I, I can't speak to like what's happening right this minute, but over the last several years, I mean, I think the most, you know, what, what's interesting is the way that theater is embracing new technology. I mean, I've, I've, I've been seeing their... Um, I heard about, and I didn't see this, but I heard about a a production, and I think it was in New Mexico, and I don't remember the name of the company, but it's like a site-specific thing in New Mexico that utilizes a lot of, of, you know, current technology that wouldn't have been available even, let's say, three or four years ago, to create a very individual experience for each person that passes through that's a sort of site-specific type of a show. And I think that's probably the most exciting trend. I mean, the advantage theater has over... All of the other performance media is that we're in the room together with each other. And theater that exploits that is the theater that's going to continue to be the most successful. I mean, theater that just tries to be a movie or theater that just tells a sort of flat, passive story where the audience just watches, you know, that experience is not that significantly different from watching a television show or a um, or a movie, and Lord knows audiences have lost the difference between going to the theater and going to their living room and just eat and talk and carry on anyway. So that's sort of disappointing. But, but a, a theater, a, a theater experience that's truly not interactive. I don't mean like a Tony and Tina's Wedding thing where you're sort of forced to like talk to strangers, but a wonderful an engagement that can only happen because we're all in this room together and recognizing that we're all in the room together and that some unique and interesting experience is about to happen to us. That is
2: what I find most exciting. Well, what's also really cool about that is is that it indicates that that theater creatives are continually raising the bar. Yes. And um, that theater audiences are becoming a lot more sophisticated and and aware of of, of, of when they're seeing something really new and something really captivating. So I, I love that observation. I gosh, I would I would love to see something like that. Uh, like I dug the I think it was called the Encounter, the the one man show that was here recently where everyone wore headphones. I thought that that was just a, a, an amazing concept.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, there's all, kinds of, there's all kinds of new technologies. I mean, there's, you know, just 3D printing, for example, which I don't know much about except a little bit that I've read. But 3D printing feels to me like a technology that should be transformative for theater design because mm-hmm. it would allow just all this customized design of props and costumes and masks and things that normally – previously would have been meticulously crafted, you know, at very high cost. And, I mean, that's how cool. I mean, how cool we that we live in this time. I mean, there's a lot of challenges in this time that we're living in, but we are just facing so much technological change that can be harnessed in the service of the art. That's wonderful.
2: Totally. Oh, wow. I, you know, you, you actually opened up my mind there to some concepts I had never even heard of. That's, that's terrific. Um, are there any particular, I know you mentioned Taylor map, but are there any particular playwrights within your organization that you feel exemplify that new vision or direction of theater?
0: Well, I mean, yes. I mean, there are a few, I mean, uh We published, in the the same book that we published, Taylor, in 2007, we published a play called Lens by a group based out of Toronto and New York. The group is called Blue Mouth, Inc., Mm -hmm. and they create about one new piece every two or three years. Their work is amazing. If you find out that Blue Mouth is doing a show wherever you are, you must go see it because you will be blown away. They exemplify this technique more than any company that I'm familiar with, although I know there are others. They're just the one that I know really well. And it's kind of weird because this kind of theater doesn't translate well to publishing, which is what we mostly do nowadays so it's you know trying to capture it in a way in a textual way diminishes it actually which is unfortunate because you know this work is is by its nature and taylor mac is like this too it's got musical elements and it has got other multimedia elements and you know it's not just text it's not like a play like at the flash where you can really you know obviously absent the performance and other aspects, but still you get the basic idea about The Flash by reading it. But a lot of these plays are hard to grasp just reading them. So it's, you know, it's I, I'm really talking out of two sides of my mouth here. I mean, you know, I, I love to champion this kind of work, but the people that we mostly publish uh, that are successfully published don't tend to do this kind of stuff because, um, as I said, this is really hard to publish. I, I did want to mention just quickly, if I could, sure. another thread, which is, that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is just how many immigrants that we've published. And I guess there's a slight political tinge here, but um, I think it's really one of the things that I love best about going to the theater is to learn something I don't know anything about. And, as a person who's lived all his life in America, I know a lot about living in America, but I know very little about being an immigrant from, say, Romania, which Saviana Stanescu writes about with great uh, precision and clarity, or uh, being an immigrant from Vietnam, which Cui Nguyen writes about, or being an immigrant from Japan, which Giori Miagala writes about. These are all folks that we've published who I'm proud to have published. Giori um, also let a group of playwrights... Uh, to create a project called Acts, which is actually about the dream kids. And um, I think it's wonderful that theater can provide a, a, uh, a platform for these people who are newcomers to the country to share their experiences. Um, and it's really important for audiences to embrace it because um, we need to learn about these experiences. For Most of us, the immigrant experience was... Our grandparents or our great grandparents, and it's just you know mythologized. And people who actually have gone through it, I think it's fascinating to learn about. It. And it's not like I said I know it feels political in a way, but I really am not meaning to be political. These plays that I'm referencing aren't political in the least. They're just about experiences in America that are worth um, contemplating. And um, especially when you think about the fact that certainly um, some of the earliest founders of American musical theater. Um, Victor Herbert and Irving Berlin, come to mind, were themselves immigrants. And it wasn't all that long ago. I mean, this is a thread that needs to be followed. I know that I went off a tangent there, but I wanted to bring it up.
2: I totally agree with you. I think that the, uh, the theatrical melting pot, so to speak, of talent, it, it takes the blinders off of audiences. Yes. Uh, we have a tendency you know, to, to see everything through red, white, and blue, and and it's important to, to to be able to bring the differences in culture as well as the similarities in culture. And we can do that through the arts. We can we can take that concept and, and project it back through what we create onto an audience and, and edify them.
0: Yeah, and what you say about similarity, and I remember when I was a kid, we saw uh, a touring production, the last one, of Zero Mostel and Fiddler on the Roof. 1976 I think it was Uh and um, I remember reading in the program they had a section in the program where they talked about all the different international companies that fit on the roof and they talked that they quoted the Japanese producer who said oh yes we love fit on the roof it's so Japanese and that's thing I mean that that, people are more similar than they are different the world over (laughs) that's
2: that's great I love that that's wonderful Well, we've got about three or four minutes left, Um, so I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. Okay. What do you think every theatrical artist, director, writer, composer, actor, producer, should be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry?
0: They should be doing the thing that matters to them in their heart. And, you know, I guess they also need to probably earn money, which may be a different thing. But um, if they don't have to worry about that, they should definitely be doing the thing that's in their heart. They should not be worrying about um, what they think is correct or what they think they're supposed to do. They should know inside themselves what they need to do. Um, you know, it's like the uh, Sunday of George when Dot says at the end, stop worrying if your vision is new. Let others make that decision. I mean, just do stuff. Move on. Do the things that move you to, to, to do something, and then we'll we'll let you know.
2: I love the, the, the line that follows that. They usually do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I can't tell you how many times I think I've actually posted that on Facebook before, but that, that really rings true to a lot of people.
1: With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Um, cool. Well, give our audience all of your social media information, please.
0: Okay. Well, you can find us at indie And that's, this is going to be confusing. Indie theater now is spelled with an ER, so it's indie uh-huh. That's where you'll find uh, 1300 plays, including At the Flash by Sean Chandler. Mm-hmm. And you should also look at nytheater.com. Which is spelled RE. I told you it was confusing. <laughs> so to TheaterRE.com, which is the now the, which has been sort of repurposed in the last couple of months as the NY Theater Indie Archive. It's the place where we're slowly compiling 20 years of theater reviews from all the time that we've been on the internet and bringing them back for people to read and peruse. And so that's a growing archive that I hope people will look at. Um, you should also look at, um, Facebook. Um, you can find me, Martin Denton, or you could look for Indie Theatre Now on Facebook, or you could look for NY Theatre Archive on Facebook, and you can look for Pound Indie Theatre Now on Twitter, and I think that's all the places you can find
2: us. Is there one uh, certain go-to that people can, can find every, all of that on? Can they, can they start with your Facebook page?
0: Yeah, you know, they could. Or, I mean, actually, I think if they go to Indie Theatre Now website, mm-hmm. it's really, really simple to find everything because it's all right there on the front page. So that's probably the best place
2: to start. Cool. That's that's excellent. Martin, you have been like such a wonderful, eloquent, enlightening guest. I mean, I've learned so much today, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being our, our guest. You've just been wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you. You've been wonderful, too. You're so well organized. Oh. and and, uh, and that makes it really easy to do this can I throw one more link at you before we stop
2: absolutely
0: yes um nyte.org which is our company website that actually is a good place to start too because that takes you everywhere we are so
2: excellent cool well I it's it's like I said you're omnipotent you're everywhere you're everywhere all the time it's I, I thought I was everywhere all the time but then I meet someone like you and and you just you set the standard, my friend.
0: Well, that's really nice of you to say. I don't think that's true, but, but I appreciate it.
2: Well, that's because you're a humble man. So, yeah. and which is a very nice quality, by the way. Okay, folks, Well, we're about ready to wrap up here. Um, I would like to give some shout outs to shows that I've really enjoyed and recommend. And I want to give a shout out to a show by, uh, a wonderful up and coming, uh, writer sensational writer by the name of Max vernon who wrote the book the the music and the lyrics that's all of it. he wrote the entire thing that's that's crazy too a new a new musical called the view upstairs now the view upstairs was a finalist in the Pride Films and Plays Great Gay Play and Musical Contest this is a contest that our play at the flash won so i don't i don't like to brag on myself like i try to be humble too and um We won in 2012, and ever since, I've been a uh, part of the Writers Network, which has been a wonderful resource for all the writers to get together and help each other. And I read – I was one of the readers and judges for the Great Gay Play Musical Contest in 2014, and I read this, and I scored it perfect scores. It is a wonderful, wonderful uh, new show. And it's the story of the Upstairs Lounge, which is a gay bar in New Orleans that caught fire in 1973, and the majority of the patrons were trapped in the bar while it burned. It's just – it's it's just – it's sad, but it's just – it's such a wonderful, uplifting musical. It just – it entertains, it educates, and it, and it uplifts the audience in such a terrific way. It is playing at the Lynn Redgrave Theater, which I'd never been to. It's a great theater at 45 Bleecker Street, and it won- runs until May 21st. So get your tickets. It's just a wonderful show, and he is a great guy. Also, I want to make mention uh, my musical co-writer, Leo Schwartz, and one of his other book writers, DC Cathro, who's a good friend of mine, um, they wrote a great musical called Till. It's the story the the story it's a story based on the true story of Emma Till, who was a young African-American boy who was horribly murdered and it was all because of the fact that they claimed that he was uh, flirting with uh, a white lady who has recently retracted her story. But that, that's a whole other thing. Anyways, Till is having a free reading in Chicago at the new Pride Arts Center, which is Pride Films and Plays' new um, facility that they purchased. And, and if you are interested in seeing this, and I encourage you to, please go to the Till Musical Facebook page, which is at facebook.com backslash Till the musical. It is actually this coming Monday, February 27th at 7.30 p.m. It's, it's a beautiful musical. I've read it. I've heard the songs. I love it. It's just, it's uplifting. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain on your program as your ticket. I'd like to thank our guests, the awesome and amazing Martin Denton, and if you'd like for me to give a shout out to a show in your area or a mention of your organization, go to my Facebook page at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. Give it a like and shoot me a message, and I'll be happy to give you the mention. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week. And don't forget, give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. And so we say goodnight, theater people, and curtain.